Hi, I'm Lisa Fain, and we're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Hey, welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 135, and today's guest is Lisa Fain. Lisa Fain is the CEO of Center for Mentoring Excellence and an expert in the intersection of culture, cultural competency and mentoring. Her passion for diversity and inclusion fuels her strong conviction that leveraging differences creates a better workplace and drives better business results. Lisa brings her energy, enthusiasm, and engagement to any group, facilitating lively workshops and training and delivering interactive speeches with practical steps that can be implemented right away. With the Center for Mentoring Excellence founder, Dr. Louis Zachary, Lisa is the co-author of the recently released Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring, a book that brings to life the stories, tips, and tools for communicating effectively across differences in mentoring. All right, that's a long introduction um, for Lisa. She brings to the table a lot of stories that are really interesting um, and quite gripping as well, I must say. Um, and we don't so much talk about uh, international cultural differences, but we talk a lot about inclusion. And of course, if you talk about inclusion, it doesn't make much of a difference whether you're looking at a monoculture or a multicultural. Okay, well, let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Hi, Lisa. Good morning uh, or good afternoon or good evening. I never know where my guests are, although that's a bit of a lie because I know more or less where you are. Um, but I mean, I don't know you, not don't know you a lot at least, so neither does the audience. So why don't you take the time to in, sort of introduce yourself a bit, um, who you are, what you do, uh, where you are in terms of like ge- ge- geography, and um, what would you consider your so-called cultural frame of reference? Uh, and a lot of questions I know, so take your time to answer this. Uh, those are great questions. So I'm Lisa Fain. I'm the CEO of the Center for Mentoring Excellence. We're an organization that goes into um, other organizations and helps them create um, cultures of learning through mentoring, which means facilitation, training, and coaching of leaders. I live in Seattle, Washington, where it's the morning. Um, and uh, my cultural frame of reference, that's such a great question. So I'm um, I would say in terms of cultural identity, I grew up on the East Coast of uh, the U.S., and I had wanderlust quite early. I grew up in a a town in central New York called Syracuse, Syracuse, New York, Mm -hmm. and uh, early on really had a thirst for travel and a sense that the world was much bigger than the world that I grew up in. So began traveling really when I was 13 years old uh, on my own, and um, that developed really an awareness of how beautiful difference is. And how many um, uh, how, how many beautiful differences people have, whether it's the way they communicate or the perspectives that they have. Um, was an exchange student in high school, traveled 
a bunch in my early 20s. And then now really my own passion is this intersection of mentoring and cultural competency. Okay, well, that's uh, pretty specific. Can I ask you where you went as an exchange student? I did. I went. I, it's 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 actually it's a funny story. At the time, I was obsessed with Japan, yeah. and um, it was it was a bit of an obsession in the U.S. in the um, '80s. But I was no, and I was no exception. And I wanted to go to Japan, mm -hmm. and um, I had six. I could only go on a six month trip for a for or six month. Uh, uh, exchange program for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And we had just started the six month exchange program to Japan. Mm -hmm. I signed up for it. I was ready to go and they canceled it. Oh. Because it said to me that it's not long enough to learn the culture and the language. And that was probably right. So instead I said, where's the farthest I can go? <laughs> and I looked at a globe because in those days there was no Google maps mm -hmm. and uh, across, I spun the globe and across the world was Australia. Okay. I went to a small mining town in um, Australia called Ballarat, Australia, which is not so small anymore, but it's about 45 minutes away from Melbourne, Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, though the language was the same, the culture really was quite different. So um, it was an amazing experience. And talking about those cultural differences then between, we say, two native English-speaking countries, two Anglo-Saxon, well, at least my designation would be Anglo-Saxon for both countries. Um, what what have you, what do you see being, I guess, a teenager and then stepping out of the plane and in, in Aussie country? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it this way then, Chris, mm -hmm. but um, there's a, there was a real difference um, in the um, collectivism and the individualism of both countries. So, you know, I was raised to um, uh, individual achievement was really the goal, right? Get an A, you know, yeah. as we say yeah. here, Achieving. do your best to get an A, yeah. achieve, right? And that that was really looked looked upon um, really favorably. In Australia at the time, and maybe it wasn't even true of the whole country, but it certainly was true of Ballarat, Australia. Yeah. There was really a sense of collectivism, which is you don't achieve at unless the group achieves. So everybody rises together uh -huh. and an individual sticking out. You know, we have a, a game here in the U.S. called Whack-A-Mole. I don't know if you know what Whack-A-Mole is, no, but Whack-A-Mole. Well, enlighten the audience as well and myself. Yeah, it's a uh, an arcade game where, you know, a uh, if one of them uh, it's supposed to be to, to literally hit a mole, you know, which is a which is a little beast that sticks its head out of the ground. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and, and if so, if a mole rises, you're supposed to, to whack it, to hit it with this little club. <laughs> and so, um, the idea is that everything rises together. No mole is supposed to, is supposed to rise up. And that was sort of, that's sort of the, the, the individualistic culture's view of a collectivistic culture, right? That nobody rises too high. And I can remember thinking, wow, it's really interesting in terms of our achievement. You know, we would take time to make sure that everybody was, you know, learning together and gets and got the material instead of kind of go on your own and figure it out. It was a really important lesson. It was a really important perspective in something that I had taken for granted was um, just a part of the culture in which I grew up and, you know, certainly mainstream American culture at the time. So that was the biggest difference that I saw. I also a number of religious differences. Uh -huh. um, I, I, um, you know, uh, separation of church and state here in the U.S., yep. where um, our public schools are not religious schools, mm -hmm. and that was not true in um, Ballarat at the time. Our my our public school was an Anglican school, mm -hmm. 
So we had, we went to church. Um, I grew up Jewish, um, still Jewish. Um, and I went to chat, had to go to chapel there. And, um, uh, and that was, that was an interesting learning as well about the prominence of religion in, um, many cultures in, in terms of its being intertwined with, um, with the state, if you will. Yeah. Okay. That makes, uh, makes interesting differences indeed. Well, is, could that have been because, um, of the, the, the smaller size of that place that you went to that people were sort of working together more than you were used to? Yeah, I think so. And I, th and, and as I understand it, um, it's changed quite a bit, you know, in the last, 30 some odd years. Yeah. Um, uh, but I do think that the, all of those things are factors, a small city, a small school, um, uh, an Anglican country. Yeah. Um, uh, all of those things really had a factor in it. And, um, uh, so it all, it's this intersectionality really of factors. I think that played a big difference in the culture. Yeah. How did this, I mean, you said that this is, this had an impact on you. How this, has this, or does this affect what you're currently do or how you, how you grew up further? I think it was really the first time in my life that I saw that there were things about my own worldview mm -hmm. that um, I took for granted and that were not universal. Mm. Yep. Clearly, since then, there's been a lot of other things that I've realized that are limiting um, or limited in my own worldview. But it really opened my curiosity. Yeah. Um, difference. And I think, you know, I can't say that at, at, you know, 16 years old, when I was an exchange student, I became culturally competent. I'm not even sure that no. there's a, that's a destination, right? It's still a journey very much so even now exactly. in, my, in uh -huh. my late 40s. But it certainly stoked the curiosity that I think is necessary to learn about cultures mm -hmm. and to, um, to be non-judgmental about difference. That's, that's not easy, is it? No, it's no. not. I'm still struggling with it. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's, um, it, it was the first reminder, um, or the first notice Okay. All right. In the introduction, we heard that, um, there, that you, you, uh, and, uh have, sorry. Yeah. You were, you were not finished yet because there was a long, a long pause. <laughs> then, and it's not a them versus an us. It's a, um, it's the, the imperative is to be curious. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, I mean, in any case, that's a good tip to start, to start with and you, which you can repeat it towards the end as well. Um, Lisa, in, in the in the introduction, we heard that you have a passion for diversity and inclusion. Can you uh, give us your definition, your view on what you consider being inclusion and diversity, or the inclusion of diversity? Yeah. So diversity is who, right? It answers the question who. It's about difference. It's about um, who's in the room, who's on the team, who's mm -hmm. represented, and that can be differences in gender and uh, race and culture and geography and uh, and any kind of difference, right? Mm -hmm. Wonderful and a beautiful thing, but it doesn't um, make a difference, right? It doesn't have an impact unless you have inclusion. So inclusion is what do you do with that difference to have it make a difference? So how are you, how are you um, exercising cultural competency? Because to me, Cultural competency is the skill that brings you to inclusion. It's the mm -hmm. skill that makes 
um, you help difference be so beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so inclusion, so cultural competency is how, and inclusion is really what. What okay. is it you're trying to create? Okay, isn't isn't the the, the focus on on uh, on diversity actually um, making those differences seem bigger than they are? Um, you know, I don't know. I think the different. I think we've spent a lot of time making differences seem smaller than they are. And I would actually say that the focus on diversity is making diverse making differences be what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and this could also be a big cultural framework as well. But at least here in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, we spent a lot of time saying differences don't make a difference, right? We do have a shared humanity, right? Yeah. There's no question. And um, we. You know, we often have the maxim, you know, connect over the things you have in connect over the things you have in common, despite your differences. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can connect because of your differences. Um, and, you know, part of the part of what I didn't tell you about my background, Chris, yeah. is that I um, most of my professional career was spent practicing law here in the U.S. Okay. I was a side employment lawyer. And I mentioned that because, you know, when you when you are advising companies on how to, you know, avoid, prevent, or react to litigation, particularly in the employment context, you're telling them don't talk about difference. You don't really want to mention gender. You don't want to mention race, right? You just got to Because if you do, it could lead to misunderstandings. These misunderstandings could grow and, and boom, you got yourself a court case. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we have we have really important laws in the in this country mm-hmm. uh, and in many places in the world that you can't make employment decisions based on those characteristics, right? Um, yeah. Because of the terrible history of doing that, and um, you know, it resulted in exclusion. Mm-hmm. But it also has resulted in a lot of fear about embracing those differences. And you know, I often tell a story that I'll just tell you really quickly here, which is. While I was practicing law, I left, um, I had both of my children while I was practicing law and I left for my first maternity leave. And when I left, um, uh, I left for my first, I came back after my first child before I had left, I was working on a big case, a big, uh, litigation. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, the managing associate on this. And I was working for a wonderful, um, man who was a senior partner there who was very well-intentioned. And he was excited to have me back because, you know, I was gone for almost four months uh, for maternity leave. And he called me into his office. And one thing about the identity of a, a, a parent, but a mother specifically when she leaves to, to have a child and comes back to work for the first time is your identity has shifted. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I wasn't just a working woman. I was a working mother. And that was something that I never articulated but really felt felt real to me. So he calls me into his office and he said, welcome back. We're excited to have you. I want you to know I'll never see you as a working mother. (laughs) And I fully believe that what he meant was you're part of the team, you know, nothing's changed from that perspective. We still value you. But because that was so much part of my identity, what I heard was you'll never see me, right? You'll Mm -hmm. never see me as a working mother, but I am a working mother. So then you'll never see me. And Although the intention was, I really do believe, well-meaning, the impact of it was to feel like that part of me wasn't valued. Mm -hmm. So when you ask the question, does it make differences feel better, feel bigger than they are? For me, the focus on diversity makes differences be what they are Mm -hmm. and doesn't minimize them. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I'm I'm digesting what you're what you're saying, thinking about what you're saying, um, and and from from from, I mean, we're we're talking about if, if you're talking about diversity and you you would focus it on race only, then um, uh, I think it's much more of a of of an American thing. Um, I'm thinking if it only, it's only limited to race, gender. Is, it, there is talk of this here in this part of the world, this part of the world being Europe. Um, specifically the Netherlands where I was born and Belgium where I'm currently now. There are these issues as well. Um, I wonder if, if the political correctness, is that a hindrance in the US when, when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Yeah, political correctness absolutely is, is a hindrance. Political correctness to me uh-huh. is about, um, the speaker, right? It's about the speaker, um, filtering him or herself in order to not offend. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I do think that political correctness is a hindrance. When you think about cultural competency, almost as an antidote to political correctness, right? Mm -hmm. If you understand difference and value difference, you don't have to filter yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You understand. You have to, well, sugarcoat or filter yourself indeed, or watch your words, whatever, whichever way you want to put it. Yes. True. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the thing and the thing that is really important, at least here in the U.S., mm-hmm. is um, uh, we have a terrible history with race relations yeah. uh, in the U.S. That you're, has, you're talking about the, the slavery period in, in the United States. Slavery, I'm talking about even beyond slavery, yeah. right? Yeah. Civil, you know, civil rights, Jim Crow, all of those things, exclusion. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, we can't operate talking about diversity without talking about race because um, we really created a system where, um, you know, people of color have been held down for a really long time. Yeah. And so, um, so in, in the U S that's a really important dis- uh, distinction. I will mm-hmm. tell you that my, um, my worldwide knowledge of race relations isn't sophisticated enough to talk about that with great, um, you know, knowledge and competency, mm-hmm. but I would guess that's, that that's true in many parts of, other parts of the world sure. uh, well in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I understand that it's for you also difficult to, in terms of uh, weighing your words and, and, and filtering what you're saying in, even in this recording of this podcast, um, yeah. that it's, that it's not easy, but indeed it makes sense in terms of, of, of inclusion. You have to typically in the U S but also outside of the U S I mean, you're not exclusively focusing our own or, or amongst other things, focusing on race and racial differences. We have, we have issues like this well in the rest of the world uh, as well, but of, of course also in, um, in Europe. And it's the other thing that, that came uh, to mind when I was reading your introduction, you talk about levering the differences, right? Levering the differences, gender differences, educational differences, again, racial differences, uh, cultural, uh, national cultural differences, etc. Um, we know from research that that's say multicultural teams or or multi well put together teams tend to be more creative tend tend to um function better uh tend to have less stress and all that all that good stuff but they have to be managed well you say that's that you um you are levering you're leveraging those differences what do you do because that's easier said than done Oh, it's absolutely easier said than done. And as we talked about before, it's really a journey, right? It's, it, you're never, you're never at perfect uh-huh. um, there. But part of it is, is, is a skill that's, you know, related to, but not exclusive to cultural competency, which is this idea of building trust. Mm-hmm. 
in a team. Um, you know, I think you're referring to this. this there's amazing um, research that was started by uh, DeStefano and Misnevsky, which says you have to really you do have to leverage those differences to have them make a difference and have the, have those better results. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, you, you do. Indeed, that's that's what I'm what I'm referring to. And in addition, sorry for, and I'll, I'll let you finish your your statement as well. My experience is as that people when when people come come to another country, so they come from India to Germany or from from China to the U.S. doesn't make much of a difference. We tend to um, only generally only like two things, which is the weather and the food, and the rest we look at these well the others and we tend to think that they're they're strange the others are always strange so how do you right. bring that how do you bring that together yeah so what so so i think it's really about trust and curiosity this mm-hmm. combination of trust and curiosity building trust so that i can ask you a question without worrying if i'm offending you but come and you can understand that i'm coming from a place of curiosity right mm-hmm. you know i really would love to understand what um uh, what it's like in Belgium when somebody comes in who's different, right? Or what's it like to, um, you know, what are views of authority like in a team if I wanted to come into into a, um, uh, you know, a workplace, what have you? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and instead of instead of you worrying that you're going to judge me for it or what have you, we've built that trust. And you don't you do that in relationship. That's one of the things we talk about in our book in terms of mentoring is. Um, taking the time to really get to know one another. What what makes you tick? And the, and frankly, those are really important elements of diversity too. It's not just about what's visible or or you know gender, race, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It's about um, what motivates you. And you know, you know, two people from the U.S., two people from the West Coast of the U.S., two you know white people from the West Coast of the U.S. We're all gonna we're gonna think differently too because there's differences among us. So it's it's having a trust enough in the relationship. So that you can exercise what I think is the most important skill, which is the skill of curiosity. Yeah. To me, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. To me, curiosity and judgment are um, uh, um, almost uh, almost opposites, right? Yeah. Two extremes you, of a, a, a dichotomy, in a way. Exactly. Well said. Two two extremes of of a dichotomy where I can I can approach it with with judgment. I can like. You know, like you say, the food and the weather, I love that that comment. I like the food and the weather, but I don't like the way, the, the how of how people do things, right? That's judgment. Yeah. I like, I don't like, right? It's bad, it's good. Generally. As, yeah. Gosh, I wonder, you know, why, why do they do it that way? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a common it's a silly joke. I mean, uh, that we tend to make we as in the north of uh, of Western Europe, like when we when we go to holiday uh, on holiday to France or Italy, it's like France is a wonderful country, except the French shouldn't be there. The same goes for the Italians. <laughs> I mean, it's not meant in a racist way. It is just you know, it's it's these Italians. They just don't get it, and 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 we get it. Of course, we get it. But the, the Italians think the same thing about us as well. I mean. They think that we don't get it, and they only get it, and that's that is so difficult to 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 bridge. I think. So what what I do think, you do? Um, well, you start to build relationships with individuals instead of making a generalization, mm-hmm. right? Really, a culture is a is a, a group of individuals. It, the, a culture is not it does not exist in and of itself, right? It exists because of a group or a stereotype sure. or an archetype yeah. that we make of individuals. So what do you what you do about it is to to be in relationship with individuals because then you can get some answers 
right? Mm-hmm. That can stoke your curiosity and get in and, and have you be well, more well-informed. We're always going to judge. I think human humans are wired that way, right? I mean, it saves us from, from, you know, burning fires and, and sure. wool yeah. in the jungle, right? So we're, we're going to, we're going to judge that. We're always going to judge, but the antidote to judgment is relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and uh, how do you, I'm writing some questions down here. How do you build a relationship? And can you test people for their capacity if they're open enough for that? Whether they have, if you want the personality to be able to do that? Mm. That's such a great question. Can you test people for the capacity? I mean, I'm, um, thinking, I'm thinking, for instance, about a personality test called the MBTI, which which is a has been around for a hundred years. It's been validated in different different countries. Uh, so you being American get another validation uh, than I would be in the Netherlands, even if I would be in Belgium, etc. So it's a very well documented um, uh, personality test. Is there anything that you can measure? Because no doubt there are people that say, well, I don't really care about you, Lisa. Let me do my work. Okay, you're part of the team. You do your thing and I do my thing. Yeah, you know, uh, there, well, there is certainly an assessment that can judge where you are in a cultural competency uh, continuum, right? Mm-hmm. The, the one that I um, uh, use a lot in my own work is called the IDI or the Intercultural Development Inventory. I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. It's also validated as well. Um, but it's a continuum, unlike the MBTI, yeah. which I'm a big believer in. I, you know, um, uh, have taken it several times um, and use it often in my own coaching. It's not a diagnostic about a particular personality. I think. I view cultural competency as a skill that you yeah, can yeah. develop. True, true. Agree. So, um, so can you test people for it? Absolutely. Can mm-hmm. you say in an organization that it is a leadership expectation mm-hmm. that people develop that skill the same way they develop this, that they exercise this, the other leadership skills? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can. Mm-hmm. I think you can. But I do think it's a mistake to uh, – Write off people who are not culturally competent as never able to be that way because um, like any skill, I think it's one you can develop. Yeah, like swimming and like driving a car. It's, you have to be able to willing to give this person a chance in order to develop and grow. Exactly, exactly. And as a organizational leaders in an organization, mm-hmm. you can say we actually expect people to develop the skills of curiosity and develop the competency mm-hmm. um, and develop good trust building skills and good influencing skills and all of those things, which are elements of the same mm-hmm. um, because we believe that that's what it takes to be a leader in this organization. And um, you know, it can be developed. Is there, is there like, because you talk about trust, you talk about building relationships uh, can you can can you give us like step one, step two, step three? Where do you begin? What's next, and what's after that? Yeah, you know, uh, we use um, my co-author. I have a book called Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring, which I wrote with um, Lois Zachary. So happens to be my mother. So there's another story for you. Um, <laughs> our we we have a three part formula. We say lean forward, learn, and leverage. Lean forward, learn, and leverage. And leaning forward is really about taking ownership. It's about saying, you know what? It's actually my responsibility in the workplace, Mm -hmm. in a mentoring relationship, in a leadership relationship, in a team, what have you. It's my responsibility to bridge differences. Mm 
And I think that that sounds simple and maybe to you and I sort of self-evident, but I don't think it's self-evident to everybody. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people say it's the, it's the, I'm using air quotes here that you can't see because we're on audio, but yeah. it, it's the outsider's difference. It's the younger person's, uh, excuse me, it's the outsider's obligation. Okay. It's younger person's obligation in a mentoring relationship. It's the mentee's um, obligation. The truth is it's, you know, everybody's obligation. I remember um, the, some marital advice that I got early on before I got married uh-huh. was, you know, they, somebody said, okay, how much of your, how much of your responsibility is it to, um, to create a good marriage and how much of it is your husband's responsibility? And my answer was, it's 50% mine and 50% his. Mm-hmm. And the person who asked me this said, nope, it's a hundred percent yours and it's a hundred percent his. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the same is true when you talk about leaning forward and mm-hmm. you talk about leaning forward, you know, in any, any working relationship that it's a hundred percent each person's responsibility to bridge differences. That's so that's really first step is to first, the first step is ownership. Yep. The second step is, is learning. And that's about awareness and it's about self-awareness and then about awareness of other people. Too often people skip that first step of self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. I want to learn about you, Chris, but, and I want to understand your differences but here's the thing. You don't have differences and I don't have differences. It's the differences lie between us, right. not within us. Yeah. Right? And so until I understand myself, I'm not going to be able to identify any differences. Mm-hmm. So second step is learn. And that's about, that's about learning self-awareness and then awareness of other people. And then the third piece is leveraging difference. And there's no prescription for that. There's just lots of examples. So, you know, one might be, um, if you have, I'll use a mentoring relationship just as an example, just cause it's always top of mind yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a mentee who, um, you know, because either of her cultural framework or whatever is, um, has family obligations beyond work, extended family. We have a, an example in our book of a mentee who's, um, of Indian from, from of Indian origins, Indian American mm-hmm. and her, uh, uh uh, in-laws come in for a long period of time to visit her in, in the U S a, a long period of time, you know, in this case was six months. This is a, a real uh, mentee that we had yeah, and, the, you know, but it, but it is in her cultural framework. That's just, that's, you know, that's how long people visit for, right? Yes, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, in, in my culture, we have what we call the three day fish rule, which is yeah. after three day fish and companies start to stink. <laughs> yeah, we have the same saying. It rhymes nicely in Dutch as well. And I, I, I understand what you're saying because I've been married to an Indian for 10 years and my in laws oh. would stay for three months. So I understand what that, how, what that feel, feels like even. Yeah. yeah. You so, um, so her mentor, this, this, this woman, Aisha's mentor, um, was saying to her, look, if you want to succeed at the job, you got to, you know, be present all the time and do after hours things and didn't really understand the pull for Aisha of her family being there for six months and what she felt in terms of her duty as uh, as a wife. Yeah. And until she really got curious about that and stopped judging it, mm-hmm. um, they weren't really able to move forward. But once she was like, wait a minute, this is actually real for her. It's not just a, I'm, you know, do I go home or do I come to work? Simple choice. Mm-hmm. There's actually something that's deeper. Oh, what's that about? And tell me more about your culture and tell me more about what that means that she was able to say, all right, how can we help you set developmental goals that are meaningful for you 
that aren't about the choices that I made as the mentor, but are, that are meaningful for you as a mentee. So that's the third step, which is leverage. That's just one example. But there are you know, others in terms of um, views of authority or um, motivations to work. You know, those are all differences that can be leveraged, um, but that are really substantial in how people show up and what motivates them in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, indeed, very much indeed. So, uh, if, and, okay, so this is this uh, the example uh, I can very much relate to personally as well. And how how would you deal with people that that uh, have resistance towards this? Like, okay, the, the, what's don't don't bring your perfume to the to the to, to the workplace, something like that. You know, your family is your family. Do it. That's outside of the office. You, know, you come here to have a job. If you don't like it, find another job. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but how do you deal with resistance? Yeah, well, it depends, again, you know, on who, who you're communicating to and how. Mm-hmm. I think there's head, a heart, and a hands way to deal with resistance, mm-hmm. right? The, the head way, if you will, is data, right? The yeah. data about retention, the data about turnover, the data about what it means to have an, an unengaged workforce or unengaged team, excuse me, unengaged, disengaged team, uh-huh. right? So sometimes that's persuasive, Right. Sometimes that's not going to sway somebody. And then it's about the heart piece, right? It's about um, helping people understand, you know, um, what their own motivators are and what it would be like to be, to have those not honored, right? So that that usually there's a coaching element of that piece. Um, And then the third is the pathway, right? Which is the hands, which is shaping by providing tools, by providing training, um, uh, by, um, providing examples and modeling, um, so that people understand how, because, you know, too often we're talking about this stuff in the abstract without really recognizing that a lot of people, you know, want to understand how to leverage differences, but they don't know how. Exactly. Yeah. That's it's it's a uh, I guess a tough job, but I can, I I think if you pull it off, I mean in your situation with yourself and your team, uh, if you can make this work, I think it's re- really rewarding, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. You know, here's a, here's another uh, story, which is about a little bit different kind of difference, but yeah, um, a more on the circuit surface, but you know, might be interesting. So, before I even entered this work, um, my when I was practicing law, I really, um, I loved, um, my pro bono work, my, you know, volunteer, if you will, mm-hmm. community. And uh, I'm particularly passionate about issues related to refugees because of my own family's history. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would, um, represent, uh, people in their claims for asylum into the U S so, mm-hmm. you know, for those who are listening, who don't know, you know, in order to, um, claim asylum, you know, in a country, you have to show that you have a you know, a credible fear of persecution if you would go back to your own country. So yeah. people who come like fearing that they're going to be persecuted. And my job as their lawyer would be to represent them. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I would have to do is to determine if they were telling the truth, right? Because, um, you know, because otherwise, how, how was I going to represent them? You really want to look at the credibility. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm interviewing a client a pretend, at the time, that time, a potential client. Um, they'd been screened by a, by a, by a not-for-profit that sort of sent, sent clients my way, but this was our first meeting. Mm-hmm. And this, a woman from Uganda, um, you know, a country in Africa who was, had come in and she had a, a amazing story, mm-hmm. but she didn't 
look me in the eye. You know, she mm. sat across the table from me and looked down. Mm -hmm. And my own cultural reference point um, is if somebody doesn't look you in the eye, they're not telling you the truth. Yeah. You know, they don't have the the confidence in what they're saying to look you in the eye because it will betray their their lie. You know, yeah, yeah, their lie. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm taking notes on what she's saying, mm -hmm. and I would say maybe it was a second and a half, Chris, when I was making the judgment. Nope, we're done. Like. This isn't right. This isn't true. Yeah. Right. I don't even know if I was conscious of it, but I was so busy with my judgment that she wasn't telling the truth that I wasn't really listening to what she was saying. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so grateful that about three or four minutes into the conversation, she looks up briefly and she said, I bet you're thinking that um, I'm not telling the truth because I know that Americans have this um this belief that if you don't look, you don't look people in the eye, you're not telling the truth. But in my country, it's a sign of disrespect to look somebody of authority in the eye. So I just want you to know that. And thank heavens, she was culturally competent enough to call that out mm -hmm. because it sort of was a verbal slap in the face in a very good way to wake me up mm -hmm. to my own judgment yeah. and listen to what she was saying, not judge the how she was saying it. Mm -hmm. Um, and as it happens, she did have a credible claim. We were able to get her asylum and she's become, you know, a friend and a role model to me and to many others. But, um, it's those kind of differences, um, also that make a difference and, um, that affect how we view one another. True. Yeah. And, and make massive decisions in the lives of, 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 in this case, this individual then. Yeah. Massive decisions in a second and a half, right? Exactly. Yeah, well, that's, that's indeed, that's how it, how it goes, I guess. Yeah. Is she? Yep. Did she make it to the book? She she made it to the book. Yes, I used her as a um, uh, another example, sort okay. of cultural competency in yeah. the book as well. Excellent. So, Excellent. What's, your, what's your book called, Lisa? The book is called Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring. Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring: Lean Forward, Learn, and Leverage. And where can I find that? You can find it on Amazon. Uh -huh. uh, any other online retailer? It's available in several international bookstores as well. Okay. Great, fantastic. Um, two final final questions. Uh, I'm looking at the clock, and we're uh, we're nicely chatting away 36 minutes already, and I, I, I enjoy the subject a lot. So I always let it roll on, and but I have to sort of respect the audience as well. Um, uh, one but last question is: Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Yeah. If you haven't uh, haven't given them already, because you talked you yeah. talked a lot about a lot a lot of good stuff. Thank you. I'll, you know, I'll sum it up, but I'll, I'll use it not in terms of the book, but just in terms of sort of more everyday language, which mm -hmm. is ownership, right? Mm -hmm. The first step is ownership. Take ownership of your responsibility to bridge the differences. The second is become aware mm -hmm. of yourself and of differences. And the third is to check in on your assumptions, right? Like this, like the story I just told you about this amazing client that I had. Check in on your assumptions. Mm -hmm. How much more powerful would it have been if I had had the awareness at the time to know to know that I was making the judgment, right? So ownership is one, awareness is two, and really checking in on those assumptions is step three. Excellent. Great stuff. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? They can do it through our website, which is center, spelled the um, American way, C-E-N-T-E-R for mentoring.com. Or at L Fain, L like Larry, F like Frank, A I N like Nancy at centerformentoring.com. All right, fantastic. 
All right, uh, excellent. Um, great interview. I love the subject. Uh, we didn't per se talk about cultural differences in terms of national differences, although you gave a nice example about this uh, this woman from Uganda, I think you said, and the, uh, the Indian-American. Uh, but nonetheless, this, this whole inclusion topic has to do, spans the globe as well. I mean, whether you're multicultural or whether you work in, in, in one single culture as well. So great, um, great topic. Thank you again for your time. And I'm glad we finally got in touch. It, uh, uh, it, it took a few hurdles to get this done, but we, we did manage. And I'm pretty sure we'll see each other in the future. Thank you so much, Chris. I enjoyed the conversation as well. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Lisa, again for coming on the show. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, please do so in iTunes. You can do that in Stitcher as well. And uh, the music you hear in the background comes from Ben Sound. Check them out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast, and I'll be back in two weeks' time. You take care. Bye. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.